Life's Third Act is a podcast dedicated to helping you get the most out of your retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, attorney CPA Joe Cordell features guests each week to discuss prominent topics for those over 55. Here's attorney CPA Joe Cordell. Welcome to another episode of Life's Third Act. Before we talk about the show today, I want to remind you that it's very important to us to get subscriptions. Um, For you to press that like button is helpful, but the subscribe button is the most important thing to us. And, you know, we don't sell a product on here. I mean, actually, the show is sponsored by Tucker Allen, so we do talk about Tucker Allen. But to be honest with you, the the efforts that we put into this show is something that is of personal value to us more than monetary, quite frankly, uh, the preparation for the show and the other things that we do. Well, yeah, we do hope it results in clients for Tucker Allen. The reality is that it's hard to show any sort of bloodline to that. Uh, so the reason we all do it, quite frankly, is that we're kind of devoted to the subject. We're true believers in the subject. We enjoy doing the sort of teaching and sharing that podcast uh, podcasting generally provides the opportunity to do. So that's the reason we do what we do, quite frankly. It's, it's really hard to justify financially, and I'm great with that. But what, what, what we value is the indication that there are people out there enjoying it. If we knew that there were, peop- there were not people out there who were going to enjoy it, then we probably wouldn't continue doing this because it, you know, as I said, it doesn't make financial sense for us. Uh, so we do love to do it because we think that we're being of great value to to many of you. Let us know that. Let us know that. And since we're not with a live audience, the only way we can know that you're there and you're listening and you're appreciative is for you to. The main way to tell us is the the subscription. Uh, you like us, yes. But the most important thing we look at is subscriptions. And I'm really glad to see that our subscriptions have doubled over the last, I don't know, uh, nine to, to 12 months or so. So that's not precipitous growth, but but considering that that you know we don't market this in any significant way, the, the fact that we've doubled in that amount of time tells us that we're doing something right. So we're glad to see that. I think we're right at 500 uh, viewers now, essentially, so or subscribers. So that that's really important to us. I don't pay attention to the page views as much uh, just because, you know, those are transient. But that's a little behind-the-scenes information about, about you know, how, our perspective to this podcast, and, and, and we do love to do it, and we want to keep doing it. Uh, we just want to know we're doing it in the right way to meet your needs. So let's pick up with the third episode. The uh, We're doing a three-part series in which we're talking about how you can fix your home up to stay in permanently, how to make your home your home for life. So uh, some of you, as we've talked, um, just give a quick overview here. Some of you, as we've talked, I know, are very comfortable with moving into some sort of wonderful community, uh, and and whether it's assisted living or skilled living, you know, that's something that that you guys are very comfortable with. In part, maybe because I've been advocating that, you know, the world's changed and there's so much uh, wonderful opportunity out there. I don't want to call it inventory; that's what they call it in the industry. But but the point is. These these places, these buildings, facilities, and other things that they offer amenities are just great. It's almost like a country club or or a cruise line, uh, depending on where you go, and of course how much money you have. I, money does make a difference on this topic, like most. 
Uh, but I know that there's a significant percentage of you, and I'm betting north of 50%, who, despite the alternatives out there, are saying insistently, I want to stay where I am. This is my home. And you have your reasons, and your reasons probably include my family's nearby, my friends are nearby, uh, my church, my synagogue, my shopping. This is home to me. I love my neighbors. So I wanted to dedicate a series, and that's what it requires. It's more than a single show. I want to dedicate a series to the topic of the things you can do now while you can. Remember, the assumption is if you're watching this show, that you're probably 60-plus. That means it's time is not on your side in terms of getting stuff done that's going to be a little more demanding than, than other things. Uh, so we know that some things you can postpone until the last moment. Uh, even when it comes to things related to end of life. Uh, I'm not an advocate of that. But there are other things, though, that it's just difficult and you have to focus and it requires you know, a strenuous effort under the best of occasions, under the best circumstances, to be able to do some things to do them well. And I would argue that this sort of multi-factor task of making your home a place where you can stay is something that you want to do preferably in your 60s versus your 80s and your 70s versus your 80s or your 90s. The bottom line is it it does require a little bit of thought, some inconvenience, um, some effort, but I know because of your priorities that that's worth it to you, those of you who have that 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 desire, that determination to stay in your home. Strong roots are essential for a healthy tree, especially your family tree. That's why you work hard to take care of your family every day. At Tucker Allen, we know that taking care of your family means planning for the future. Our team provides personalized estate planning to help you protect your family, your legacy, and your future. From wills and trusts to long-term care and estate planning, Count on Tucker Allen. Personalized estate planning made simple. So among those multi-factored things is, you know, there, you, we've talked a little bit about retrofitting the house. We've talked about the fact that some homes are going to be more amenable to, to accommodating you over time with your emerging needs and your growing list of, of accommodations. Uh, some houses are more suitable to that than others. So we talked in the last episode about the physical environment and some changes that need to be made there. Those can be made, that sort of retrofitting process, without spending a lot of money for most people. But if you're having to move, for example, or create a bedroom downstairs, uh, that can run into a lot of a lot of expense, as well as some of the other things. But for the most part... Making your home wheelchair safe, making it a place where you have things to hold on to at in vulnerable places, you have bars and handles and things such as that. The the height of a table or a counter can be relevant depending on if you would ever be wheelchair bound. Uh, so these are things that uh, for 
for many homes can be done in today's dollars for less than $10,000. Some of you are thinking, $10,000 is a ton of money. Well, it depends. I mean, I think many of you think, as I do, that, well, that's pretty reasonable to get a lot of retrofitting done to age in place. But if, if there are structural things that have to happen, as opposed to the things I just listed, for which for the most part are not, then you can easily end up spending a lot more money. But I would argue that given your set of priorities, this is something you're probably willing to do. I'm willing to bet that those of you watching me today, if you're in that minority or that majority that wants to, to stay where you are and to, to live, spend your last days in that home, then your best chance of doing it is to make that investment. We talked about other things that need to be done. We talked about doing a budget in which you compare what your costs are likely to be over time. Some of those are capital costs, such as the things I mentioned. Others, though, are just going to be maintenance costs associated with the home, virtually all of which you're going to have to to independently contract to have done. And fortunately, there are services now that will do that. There are there are now businesses that focus on people such as yourself who want to stay in their homes and age. And as a result, they turn to to third-party contractors to do the things that they need to do. So um, that has to go into the budget. And it's not just yard work. Uh, and It's painting, it's maintenance, it's odds and ends, a sort of general purpose handyman. Uh, these are people that you need to line up and have ready over time. You also need to determine um, how far is it for you to get to a stores that you shop in regularly, whether it's grocery stores, to places that you go, such as your for your health care or for your house of worship, whatever it might be. Those things you, you need to have a plan. Is there a reasonable way for you to get there over time for the balance of your life as a practical matter? And then the last thing and very important category of things we talked about last time is the fact that you should really do a comparison and determine at what point are you going to go from plan A to plan B. And some of you will have the resources and the determination to persist with plan A as long as it is physically and even medically possible. So that means that if you had to have people coming in 24 hours a day to provide custodial or other care, you're prepared to do that. So there are those among you. Many of you, the majority of you, are going to have a point where the costs are going to exceed the benefits or your willingness to pay, and you're going to shift to the plan B. And as I said last time, I think that you should go ahead and take care of that now in terms of developing a plan. It may change. It may be that that when when or if that time ever comes, hopefully in the distant future, let's assume 15, 20 years down the road, it won't be the identical plan that you've developed now, but over time you'll change that plan. The reason you're developing the plan right now is because traumas happen. There are are falls, there are heart attacks, things I discussed in more detail last time that I won't go through again. But the reality is that as you age, it's important for you to always have that plan available and for your, your family members to know what it is and so that if if you do have to abandon uh, this intention to stay in your home and, it ha- and it's done precipitously because of, of some development in your life or health, then, then it won't be chaos. Instead, it'll be a very orderly transition and a more affordable transition because you did have a plan. This is really a smooth point in which, in which for us to move into what I wanted to talk about specifically today. This is the final segment of the series, and 
and it ties together a lot of the things we talked about before. And that is what will be the underlying legal framework, uh, and of which includes financial factors, uh, to fund these things we've talked about. Um, everybody's budget is different. Uh, for some of you, some things will be realistic that for other, others of you are not. But there are some common denominators that need to exist for all of you. And I guess there's no better place to, to start than to talk about the legal documents that you have to have in place. Yes, there, there are legal aspects to staying in your home uh, permanently. You know, your, your goal, if you've watched this series and you've made it to this episode number three, then I, I know you're serious about this and I know you're wanting to, to do the, the prudent thing so that you can maximize your chances. And among the most prudent components of the plan is for you to have in place the, the documents that will assure that the things you want to happen do happen, even when you're not necessarily in the driver's seat. You may have moved from the driver's seat to be sitting in back and someone else is chauffeuring you. And you want to be sure that the chauffeur, I, I guess, hopefully this this is an interesting metaphor I haven't used before, but it does seem to work. Uh, you want to be sure that the chauffeur is taking you places that you want him or her to take you. And uh, just because you're not in the driver's seat doesn't mean that you are not and cannot be in control. So the way you continue to be in control, even if you move from the driver's seat, is by legal documents. So those of you who hate to deal with lawyers, I understand that. I hate to deal with lawyers personally. I mean, I pay lawyer fees, and I'm not, I'm not talking about employees. I'm talking about third-party lawyers that I use for various business matters and whatnot. You know, none of us like to pay lawyers. The reason we pay lawyers is because they get things done that are very important to us, especially in the world we live in today. And I'm telling you that to implement the plan that we're talking about and we've been talking about, something very, very important to you, perhaps the most important thing to you, is critical. it's critical that you have in place a few uh, rules or to take advantage of, uh, of a few instruments that the law provides you that all you have to do is simply complete the paperwork and suddenly you have the benefits that are available to you. So we'll start by talking about I guess, what I would consider the most urgent, and that's a durable power of attorney. I won't spend a whole lot of time on this because I've talked about durable powers of attorney before. Uh, some of you may already know, and matter of fact, you know and understand so well that you've already done it. And I'm hoping that that's a significant part of the 500 or so subscribers of you. But I know many of you may have intended to, but you didn't and you need to be reminded. Some of you maybe didn't fully understand. Some of you may be hearing this for the first time. So a durable power of attorney is important because it accomplishes so much for so little. The cost is relatively little as legal documents go. To have one done correctly, you're probably still going to spend 500 bucks. Uh, but you, you have so much accomplished when you have it in place. This is the means by which you get done all those things that are important to you when you're not able to. And remember, those events can occur at any time. I talk about this a lot. I kind of pound the table with it because it's critical that people, once they get past 60, get this. It wasn't true earlier in their life. So they're not used to thinking that, oh my gosh, there's a significant probability that sometime, if not today, sometime in the next week or month or year that 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 something is going to happen in a moment that will 
will rob me of my ability to do many of the things I do now. Now, these, again, we don't walk around looking at the sky expecting it to fall. But at the same time, when we know that it's cloudy and, and we walk around whistling as if it's not possible there's going to be rain, that that's poor judgment. It's not being prudent. It's not being prudent about among the most important things for you at this stage of your life. So getting a durable power of attorney is critical. Those of you who have one, uh, think through what I'm going to talk about here, and maybe you'll want to have that modified in some way to have it updated. For the most part, this is not a document that requires continual updating, but it does occasionally. Uh, so one decision that you have to make is who is it that you want to be in authority to act on your behalf in the event that you couldn't. So let's assume you fall down a flight of stairs. You're rendered in a condition where you cannot express or you cannot think coherently. Then you want somebody who understands what your priorities are. You've talked to them about these things before. Uh, You can even include in the document some of the specific things that you're concerned about. You can express a desire to stay in your home at all reasonable costs. These are all things that are not forbidden by law to be in this document. They can certainly be in there. It can be as specific as you want it to be, but I caution you, don't be overly specific because you you essentially deprive this person in whose judgment you've placed so much trust, you've deprived them of the opportunity to use that judgment. I mean, that judgment is hopefully is the thing that really influenced your decision, the judgment and love and affection both those things. You don't want somebody that's just smart and has good judgment. You you want them to, to care about you. You want them to have love and affection for you, ideally. Uh, and of course, love and affection, we know, is not enough in and of itself. Uh, the best of intentions are not sufficient to make good decisions. So you, you're looking for somebody that has both those qualities. And I'm willing to bet there's somebody in your family or somebody close to you who meets that description. And there should probably be a few. You should name a successor person. So you don't just name one. You name two or three in succession so that in the event something happens to the other, which more often than not is around your age is what I've found with clients, uh, sometimes older, depending on the client's age. So you want to be able to identify now who those successors will be. But these are the people who will be in a position to make the decisions about everything for you. They can make the decisions about what investments you have, where your, your money is kept, what portion is, is available for, for liquid needs, things that are available you know, long-term, things that need to be invested for a higher rate of return, but more often the characteristic of those investments is that they tend to be less liquid. So you want a balance between things in which there's full liquidity, but probably a low rate of return. The extreme example is your typical bank account. Why, why is there any money in the world in a bank account? Because it's pure liquidity. So people are willing to give up rates of return to have money available there. But do they have all their money sitting in a bank account and earning 1% or 2%? No. They, they have some portion there, but the bulk of their, their wealth, the things that they don't think they're going to need in the next 30, 60, 90 days, that money is probably in limited partnerships, some form of real estate investment, some form of securities, uh, hedge funds, uh, venture funds. I mean, there are all sorts of investments that that require you to lock up your money for a period of time. Uh, But in exchange for that, you get a stronger rate of return. Sometimes that's the nature of even the stock market. So you want somebody who, they don't have to be an expert investments. I, I just want 
I want you to choose somebody who you think will know at least who to go to to get advice about things like that. That's what you're really looking for, the good judgment, not in authority or expertise in a particular area. Similarly, things about your housing. Um, Is this person going to keep you in the house? Are they willing to take a large portion of your budget and and invest that in your staying where you are? Or are they going to conclude based on what they think you would want that no, you know, once, as soon as this becomes complicated and hard and expensive, I know that this person, meaning you, would not want to me to take a good part of your estate and spend it for that purpose. These are things that a stranger wouldn't know. A stranger would form their own opinions and, and there's, there's a 50-50 chance that those opinions will be what you would want because these are personal choices. So having a durable power of attorney, having in place something that allows someone to immediately step into your shoes, not going to court, not having to have a judge listen to evidence and a judge decide who's going to be in charge of managing you and your money and your other assets. I mean, that's a scary thought. Not only is it scary, it's inefficient and it costs a lot of money and you're the one paying for everybody in that room. Any, everybody at such a hearing, a hearing in which there's a conservator and a guardian appointed, that's the alternative, incidentally, to this durable power of attorney. Everybody in that room's getting paid, and you're paying them. So it's just an awful waste of money. And, and this is not as if you, know, you can't foresee this. I mean, there's a train track that indicates a train may come. You know, you know that, that trains come on regularly scheduled, and you can even hear this in some cases and see it in the distance, depending upon whether you've had any sort of diagnosis like Parkinson's or, or maybe something that runs in your family. Sometimes you have, you're especially on notice in terms of harbingers of these sorts of challenges. So I'm emphatic about this subject. I'm dwelling on it longer than, than some people might because this is, has to be a core, core component of any plan to take care of you as you age. So the good news is, again, it's not an expensive document. You can have it done you know, in a week. Uh, don't order a form. Uh, it's tempting to do that. Uh, form may be better than nothing, maybe, depending on what it says. But I, I will mention a few things, though, that I think you need to think about before you talk to your attorney regarding a durable power of attorney. Think about, of course, who you want to be in charge. Think about whether you want them to have that authority now so that they don't have to go um, to have a doctor certify or three doctors certify that you're incompetent. There doesn't have to be some triggering event. Triggering events are okay. The argument for it is that that you know if you distrust this person or you don't want them having authority when they're not needed, then then you have a mechanism to to prevent that until it's needed. So if you think that they're going to do that to you when you're competent, then you sure have to worry about their judgment when you're incompetent. So I would argue that such a person it should probably not be a candidate if you can't trust them, even when you're competent. The other thing is that it can slow things down depending on whether it's a brokerage firm, whether it's a bank, whatever financial institution it might be, they're going to be concerned about whether the person that walks in the door has immediate authority and they're going to be a little concerned about that certification process to be sure that it's done appropriately. So in order to protect themselves, sometimes they will ship it up to you know, the 20th floor, which is their corporate department, and that means delay. 
So you don't want anything to get shipped up to the 20th floor of any of your financial institutions or businesses with which you're having to deal as you have this plan in place because it produces delay and inefficiency. And one advantage of all this is that it is very efficient and you have someone just on the spot in charge making decisions that need to be made, urgent decisions often in these circumstances that have to be made, and you don't want anything to hinder them. So I would suggest that you my opinion is that you should choose somebody that you trust and go ahead and give them the authority. They're not going to use it, but but they have the ability to immediately step into your shoes and start making decisions. If you have someone that you're not that close to or simply you just don't feel comfortable knowing that they had that authority and that maybe they're going to try to exercise it, again, all my cautions to you, again, about the fact that this may not be a good choice, but if, but if it's all you have, then sure, you can go ahead and have a mechanism to to um, determine that you are incompetent when or if that event happens and that you'll have some certification, typically through, it can be one physician or several. Another thing to think about is, do you want to put in specific instructions? Now, these instructions, again, they need to be subject to override, but you can be specific about certain things that are important to you. So there's no reason, what if a lawyer may say, no, no, this is the form you use, um, that's, that's a red flag. Because if they use the word form, then that's suggestive that perhaps all you're getting is a form, though you're paying for a customized document. A good lawyer in this field is going to say to you, yes, we'll customize this document to your needs. Now, sometimes what clients will say is, look, I don't want anything specific. I want to give this person all the possible authority that the law will give them. Think about it before you do that, even if it's somebody that you completely and unqualifiedly trust, such as a child, for example. Still, um, that allows them to change things that you may not want changed. You, you know, If you allow them to change everything that they possibly can, and there's provision in there for everything that it possibly can be, then that means even your trust can be changed. Uh, there can be changes to beneficiary clauses and life insurance, 401ks. I mean, generally, up to 50% of your assets are going to be in the form of a beneficiary clause on a deferred compensation asset, whatever it might be. So think about that. Similarly with real estate. So often people will want to have some constraints on the authority of this person, and and that's understandable. Uh, but but there are some people who say, look, you know, this I trust this my child without qualification, and I want them to have full and unlimited authority to do anything they want. And you don't want to put even even any specific guidance about what your priorities are. That's okay. You can do that. You can take it to the outer limits of the law. But most people choose to to insert specific things. So I would say that this is the this is the most critical legal document if the if the topic is about you being in your home. Second to that, is a durable power of attorney for health care, which as the term implies, is just for health care. Decisions about whether or not you're going to stay on artificial life support. Those decisions are very personal. Often, incidentally, the person who might be able to make that decision may not be the person best equipped to make the financial and legal decisions that is embodied in this general durable power of attorney that we've been talking about up till now. Uh, a separate document keep in mind, is the durable power of attorney for health care. It should be a separate document. It's a separate statute in the state of Missouri and in virtually every other state. However, you're not required to have two different people fulfill this role. You can have one person do it, and that's fine. Often, though, 
the skill sets are different or the personalities are different. Uh, sometimes that more nurturing child, the one that you might think would be more caring in terms of making the right decision about your health care, um, may not be the same person who's going to be more focused on managing your assets in the in the same way, paying your bills and doing all those things that require more of a, a bookkeeping or accounting mentality in some ways uh, versus that of a nurturing uh, personality. So that's just been my general observation. Occasionally, you'll have a person who it can excel in both. Or occasionally, you know, it's not as if you have a ton of candidates. So you have a candidate, you know, a list of three people. And so you choose best among those. Uh, but I would say that the durable power of attorney for healthcare is the second most important thing um, in, for the purposes of this show. And that specifically relates to those end of life decisions. At that point, you may be out of your home, although it could relate to the hospice care you know, the hospice care in your home. So it's not as if that subject takes place entirely in some sort of healthcare institutional environment. It may be decisions that are made, being made from your home. But the point is, keep in mind, these are not financial and legal decisions. They're healthcare decisions. Second most important document. And then, and then overall, and when I go to the next subject, the next legal uh, component of your arsenal to effectuate this plan... Uh, this really stretches beyond the balance of your life, and it, it does cover the balance of your life, but it goes beyond, and that's the subject of a trust, a living trust. And it, we've talked about it on this show a lot before. Um, it makes its way into this discussion uh, not as my number one item, but as my number three item because I'm ignoring your estate planning. I'm ignoring you know the interest of your children, your grandchildren, et cetera. That's not been the focus of my attention in this show. Now, I did mention once, and I think it was the last episode, the fact that that as you weigh developments and costs in retaining Plan A, as you're living out the Plan A, which is to stay in your house, and accumulating costs, additional costs associated with that, I suggested there may be a point at which those costs reach a certain altitude where you say, I think I better shift to plan B. And I suggested that that your motivation at that time may not be simply about the subject of, you know, your house versus where you're going to live alternatively, just comparing those. I'm suggesting that perhaps that decision is dominated more by your consideration of a third factor, which is the interest or the estate that you'll have available for children or grandchildren. For some of you, this is a more pressing issue, obviously, than for others. Some of you have no grandchildren. Some of you have no children, and and this is not relevant. So for you, it continues to be a, a discussion or consideration about plan A versus plan B strictly in terms of of the 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 physical and other environmental factors you know your lifestyle factors but for many of you estate is relevant and for those of you who are concerned about the estate in other words what's left when you leave this world uh, you do want to be sure that in addition to your assets being well-managed in this world, they would also be managed probably in a little different way. And that's another advantage of the durable power of attorney. And and you'll see in a second of also a trustee, which is similar in this respect regarding assets that you put in your trust, uh, is that this person can manage things with an eye to what your hierarchy of priorities are. So it might be that that you don't have concerns or don't heavily prioritize your estate, the amount of money that's left to anyone else when you're gone or to anything else, meaning 
charities, et cetera. So in that case, that would be a different set of criteria that would that a decision maker would look at at every fork in the road. You know, at every intersection, they're going to be simply weighing the relative merits of you know this environment versus that, or this amenity versus that. That's a very different perspective for that person to think about versus their knowing as either the person with the durable power of attorney would, as well as a trustee, knowing that really, really important to you is is having something left for this either your church, a charitable cause, or for children or grandchildren. Uh, it does affect those decisions. And so I listed this third in terms of, uh, from a legal perspective, of what I think you have to have in place to implement your plan, because I know that for some of you, it, the estate is less important than for others. For some of you watching this, the estate is number one. <laughs> so you're going you're gonna to abandon plan A, the costs of living, staying where you are, those additional costs will assume. Um, it's possible they won't be additional, incidentally, but for the most part, let's assume they are. So... Many of you will be prepared to abandon that the moment that you see a significant divergence between the costs of living in this, I don't want to say institutional environment, I'll say community, uh, of living in a community versus living where you are now. Some of you, as soon as you see the, those costs diverge in a big way, meaning the cost of plan A is going up versus the alternative, some of you will abandon plan A and go to plan B right then and there. And the reason is because you have bigger fish to fry. You have an agenda in which you really, really prioritize uh, your children or grandchildren. So that's the reason it comes into this conversation, because I know it's going to dominate the thoughts of many of you, many of you who want to stay in your home, but you want to stay in your home only so long as you don't penalize too much those who come after you. So if you have that set of priorities, you really need to add to the list of legal instruments. To the first two that I mentioned, you've got to add a third, and that's a trust. And a trust is a means in which you place under the control of a single person or persons that you've selected, kind of like the person who's in charge of your durable power of attorney, that you can have the same person who also is your trustee. And the trust is intended to be the container for your assets someday. Some, some of those assets will go into your trust while you're alive. There's nothing to prevent that. Some cases, for tax reasons, you don't want to do that. You don't, you don't want to, for example... Sometimes with real estate, people will want to go ahead and put the real estate in the trust. Not a bad idea, but they need to think about the tax consequences. I mean, you do get a stepped-up basis. That law has changed, incidentally, and, and, is, and is projected to change more in the future. So some of those benefits will no longer be here. But as long as you're getting a stepped-up basis, then it really makes sense to keep it out of the trust and have it go into the trust automatically when you die. So it, it still goes into the trust. It still doesn't have to go through probate. It's just that you don't stick it in there in advance. So similar things with respect to 401k, um, IRAs, those are often big assets for people. And for you to immediately convert those into an account that could go into the trust would trigger going ahead and having to pay those tax consequences. Now, that's not always a bad idea. Remember, the tax consequences are going to have to eventually be paid by somebody, whether it's you or now you have a, I think only the spouse gets the 10-year delayed payment. Uh, and then anybody else now is looking at paying immediately or five years. 
those rules have changed, so I'm, I'm no longer. I used to do a lot of tax work, but that was ten plus years ago. So I don't folk. I don't pretend to be an authority on taxes. Uh, so check with your accountant on that. But the, but just for purposes of this conversation, keep in mind that there you probably don't want to go ahead immediately and put those tax deferred assets into your trust. So that's the reason they stay outside your trust, and and you have them managed through the person with the durable power of attorney. So many of you will have a good portion of your assets outside the trust, even though you've created it. So you may be saying, well, why did I create this trust? You've created this magnificent container, a magnificent container that you can choose to put all your assets into now. For a few of you, that will make sense. For some of you, again, you want to talk to your your accountant as well as your attorney and see what the tax consequences, if any, are for you to do that now. And if you did, hypothetically, if you had everything in your trust, then, yeah, your trustee would essentially do the things that I was telling you, your durable power of attorney, the person that you've empowered to do that, that agent would do on your behalf. So we're, we're really talking about very similar roles here. It's just whether it's acting as a trustee or not. And I, I know this this can potentially confuse you. So I want you to think of a trust simply as a container. The purpose, the primary purpose of which is to take care of those assets at the moment that you're gone. So there's no probate. There's no paying lawyers. You're, there's a less, much less probability that there's going to be any sort of fight or contest by way of trust versus by way of, of wills and probate. You have privacy, confidentiality. There's lots of reasons. Plus, and most importantly, in my judgment and for me personally, is the ability to control how those assets are distributed after I'm gone. I don't want them simply dumped into the lap of my adult children. My children have great judgment, but I can do a whole lot better for them. I can I can keep the money and the trust in a way that it's protected for their benefit in a way that they cannot. I can protect them from divorce. I can protect them from uh, creditors. I can protect them from a business that goes bad. I can protect them from a lawsuit. So I can give them that, that they can't give themselves that. Uh, if I gave them the money outright and said, here, do with it what you want, they couldn't create a trust that's going to do for them what I can create a trust to do, because that's just the way it works. You can't insulate yourself in the way that a third party can insulate. It's kind of public policy. Uh, we've decided as a society that we give less power of an individual to take their assets and put it in something and then have the ability to to chuckle uh, when people come and try to sue them. You know, that's against public policy. There are ways to, to get some of that protection, but it's much more difficult and much more limited. My point to you is it's a whole different subject we decide as a society when a third party gives you money and places it in a container and says, these are, I'm going to put these safeguards around it. Then, then we've decided as a matter of public policy that, yeah, that you know, you, if you're the person who is, has been the, the, the recipient of a gift that was given in that form, we've decided as a society that, that it's not unfair for you to be protected when somebody sues you for you to be able to say, look, I'm sorry, but you know, I don't have the assets in my name. You, you, there's no way to recover the assets from me. So, um, trusts are a wonderful, wonderful thing. I can tell you that. And I'm not simply telling you that because I'm a lawyer. Uh, they're a wonderful thing. And the good news is they're not that much more expensive than simply having a will. Uh, so a trust should go on your list. And even though it may not be of importance to you, except regarding the way it's going to serve you after you're gone. Some of you immediately lose interest in the subject of a trust when I say that. And it's good. For, that means that, that you're thinking about other things and, and that that's okay. 
While trusts do have value, if you have charitable interest, of course you use a trust if, you, if it's your church. But if you intend to leave no estate, okay, I get it. You can probably get by just as well using a durable power of attorney. You spend less money, and it takes care of you while you're alive. But I know that doesn't satisfy the majority of you. So you've got to think about that third component. That would complete the triad that would put you in place legally and financially uh, to be able to implement your plan. Now, in terms of the financial content, you're going to have to pay for that, meaning, you know, we, whenever you do this planning, you should talk to whoever, whatever attorney you're using, uh, your accountant may sh- maybe should be involved, certainly to the extent that, that we're developing a budget, a budget that makes it realistic for you to pay those, not only the, the capital costs on the front end to convert your present home, but also the additional costs and maintenance and upkeep over time. And then in the development of plan B, you may, may have the capability of doing that through software that you have at home. You may use your accountant to help you develop your plan A and plan B. That's fine. But in terms of the legal foundation for those plans, it's going to exist in broadly in those three documents that I just described. So um, we've covered this subject pretty thoroughly, uh, I hope, and I hope that I've empowered many of you to make better decisions but through the course of, of these three episodes in choosing to stay at home. I know that I, I simply touched on some topics that deserve much more discussion. Perhaps you can take those up with your accountant, your attorney, uh, maybe your general contractor, in some cases your family members. Uh, But I hope that this at least gives you a framework to think about how you can have much greater confidence that you can live out the balance of your life in in the home uh, that that you want to leave this world from. So with that, uh, I wish you the best. Uh, This has been another episode of Life's Third Act. Till next time, take care. You've been listening to Life's Third Act, a podcast for thriving in retirement. Sponsored by Tucker Allen, your estate and elder law advisors. Each week we discuss topics and answer questions to help you better plan for your future. For more information, visit TuckerAllen.com. Subscribe and listen again next week for another edition of Life's Third Act. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements.